Our final reading comes from Matthew 2, and it is the wise men. I'm going to be talking about the wise men tonight. But I, I want, as I read this, for you to sort of picture in your head the song we just sang, all your images you have of wise men from movies and from, from plays and from Charlie Brown and nativity sets. And I'm going to read the story, but I want you to notice how much of what we sang and what you think about when you think Magi is not in here at all. And then we're going to talk about that. So I'm in Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And Herod, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ child was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the Magi secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, think about all the details that you have about this story in your head that weren't in the reading that I just did. We do find wise men, the star, Herod, Bethlehem, the three gifts. But the length of the trip is not mentioned. Okay, traversed afar, there's not a lot of afar traversing in here. Okay, they just come from the east, we're not told where. There are no camels, the transportation method is not listed at all. They're not called kings, they're actually literally just called magi. We translate that sometimes wise men, but the text doesn't actually say men. This could include women as well. Um, the text says there are three gifts, but it does not say how many wise men there are. And they, they're definitely not kings. Nothing in here says that they are kings at all. The wise men are given some names in songs and in art, but in here, nothing. They're, they're nameless. In fact, the story, when you think about it, when you actually go right to the text, is rather simple. Okay? It's just a simple story of these visitors from some kind of unknown place coming in to find Jesus and worship him. So tonight I want to explore the story, and then I do want to talk a little bit about why we say all these other things about them. To begin, we need to correct one major misconception about the, the birth of Jesus and the coming of the Magi. Okay, the, the text I read earlier clearly says that while they're in Bethlehem, the time comes for Mary to give birth. So we have this picture of Mary 
nine months pregnant, waddling into Bethlehem, or water breaking on the road. That's not what the text says. It says, while they're there, she caused the baby. And then the text couldn't be any clearer about this. After the baby is born, the text tells us that wise men from the east come to Jerusalem. So they're not there at the birth. And in fact, um, when it says that they saw the baby, it doesn't say baby, it says child. So in the church, we typically celebrate Epiphany, the coming of the wise men, 10 days after Christmas, because it was at least 10 days, and then maybe up to about two years, because that's what Herod ends up using to potentially try to kill this child. And so we don't know when the wise men come. They're not really a part of that first Christmas Eve, Um, but they're in all our songs, and they're in all our stories, and and the church has been fascinated with them for years. So who were these magi? Well, it's a little hard to parse that out, too, because the term magi kind of changes over time. Okay, the word magi is the word that we get what from? Magic or magician. Okay, and originally the magi were a particular caste, a priestly caste in sort of the Persian Empire. Then they spread out and and they were sort of soothsayers. They were, uh, you know, reading astrology. They were reading the signs. They were reading your palms. They were, they were sort of like, uh, like Gandalf or Dumbledore. They would sort of guide society and sort of be like the wise counsel for kings. And so the Magi was this particular group of people. But over time, they, they sort of become... It sort of becomes a term for all kinds of people that believed in that kind of stuff. So it became more of a generic term. And then after the New Testament, it even becomes a derogatory term, like these magicians, these wizards. So does Matthew mean the particular cast of these magi that read prophecy and read the signs? Or, or, or does he mean more generally those kind of people? It's a little hard to parse that out. And where exactly are they from? The text just says from the east, where there's a lot of east, everybody, from Israel, right? The the carol we just sang said Orient. There's some legends say they're all the way from the Orient, okay? Um, Most of the the legends we'll see here in a little bit, most of our our tradition says they're from Persia, which is kind of to the east, but a little bit to the north in what would be Iraq today. Um, The advantage of that is tradition says that's where they were from. They were given... Persian names. That's where the Israelites were in exile and where people like Daniel wrote some of these prophecies. So it makes sense that the Magi could know. But if the Magi are Persian, then it's a very long journey. And the Persians were known for traveling on camel. So you can see where some of that part of the story sort of creeps in here. I've also read that maybe that's even closer to the east, like directly to the east of Jerusalem, are these people called the Nabataeans. And they were actually uh, relatives going back to Abraham from the Israelites. Um, They they lived in the desert. They lived, uh, they had the city called Petra, uh, which was this really pretty city uh, carved in stone. It's in one of the Indiana Jones movies, okay, where they go to actually find something. Um, But so they're directly to the east. What's interesting about them is they're part of Israel's sort of distant family. They are directly east. And at this period, they trade a lot in gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But if they're from there, then it's not a very far journey. And the Nabataeans at this time predominantly use horses. So that could change your view and your nativity set just a little bit. Who who are these magi? Well, we don't know. We can't quite tell. And people argue either kind of way. 
So either Matthew, I mean, he's vague, right? He, doesn't, he just says from the east, and he just says they're magi. So either Matthew doesn't know, or some scholars have suggested that maybe Matthew does know, and by writing it down, he's protecting their identity because they would get in trouble for not obeying Herod. And so maybe as, as a sort of refugees, he's protecting their identity. We don't know. What we do know is that there's some kind of magi because they see some kind of, of, of star. They don't quite know how to describe it. And, and uh, a lot of, there's a lot of debate about this too. Are they seeing Halley's Comet, which we think came through, but we think that's a little bit earlier. So some people have suggested maybe it's sort of a what's called a conjunction or an alignment of planets that they see in the sky. And, and, and whatever this sign is, they recognize it as a sign that somebody is being born as king of the Jews. Now, interestingly enough, too, they don't follow the star yet. If you really actually pay attention, the star is at first just the sign that the baby is born, king of the Jews, and they make the trip to where you would think the king of the Jews would be born, the capital, right? If, you, if there's going to be a king born, you'd probably expect it to be born to the current king. So they go to Jerusalem. The problem is, there's already a king in that capital. His name is Herod. Herod is called Herod the Great because of all the stuff that he built. But one of the reasons why Herod built so much is because he was so paranoid that people were out to get his throne that he basically tried to build fortresses in all kinds of different directions in case he ever had to escape. He was so paranoid that, that he actually had two of his own sons and one of his own wife and one of his wives killed because they he thought they were going to take his throne. So when the text says, Matthew says, that when Herod was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, that is exactly how it was. When Herod's troubled, everybody's troubled. Okay, when Herod's troubled, people are dying. It's the kind of guy Herod was. So the wise men come to Herod expecting to find a baby child, a, a, a baby. But realizing that Herod is not having a baby, one, they wonder then about the Messiah. And Herod has paid attention to this stuff about the Messiah, being as paranoid as he is. And so he pulls the chief priests and scribes together. He said, okay, well, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They pull out Micah 5 and say that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And then Herod tells the Magi where to go. And he tells them, hey, when you get done worshiping, come tell me where that child is so that I can go worship him too. Okay? Herod never worshiped anybody but Herod a day in his life. That was a total lie. And we would see later, if you keep reading the story, that he's trying to kill that child. And it always amazes to me, me that these chief priests and scribes look up the verse. Right? They look up the verse. Where is this child to be born? Oh, Bethlehem. And not one of them went. Like, not one of them went just to check it out. Like, wouldn't you think one of you would have to be like, but Bethlehem's about seven miles away. Don't you think one of us should walk and just see if it might be the Messiah? Or are they that afraid of Herod? Or that unexpected of a Messiah by this point? But the wise men do go. They head out towards Bethlehem, and then the text tells us that the star reappears and they rejoice. So whatever this heavenly thing that they saw, this sign in the sky they saw, it suddenly starts to guide them, and now they do follow it. 
Herod told them to go to the city of Bethlehem, but the text seems to imply that the star actually guides them to the house where the child is. That is a really weird thing for a star to do. Okay, we're going to return to that in a minute. They go into the house, they bow down and worship him, or the translation really could mean pay homage to him. It's the same language when a king would send an envoy when a child was being born or a new king was around, and you would pay a tribute in honor of the new king to get in the new king's graces. So they come and they bow down and they bring gifts. Gold, a valuable metal. Frankincense is an incense made from a tree resin and it's used predominantly in worship. Okay, it was actually used in the tabernacle and in the temple. That was this incense that was burning in the temple. Myrrh is another tree resin used for medicinal purposes and used predominantly as a burial spice. Because when they would deal with people's uh, bodies, they would, they would actually wrap the body some kind of, with a lot of perfume so that later they could come back after a year to finish the burial process. So it was a very strong burial uh, perfume. Now the meaning of these gifts is under some discussion too. So is this a set of gifts that a normal envoy would send to another king? Okay, gold, that's clearly a kingly gift. Some kind of incense as if maybe God is blessing this king. Myrrh, I mean, if you have a new king, that probably means you had an old king. And so myrrh, burial spices that way. Or the church later really read more into these. We wonder what the Magi knew and didn't know about Jesus. But this recognition that Jesus is gold for a king, that he is not only a priest, but he is actually God incarnate, frankincense, and that he would die, myrrh. That's clearly way, the way the hymn we just sang kind of lays that out. How much did these Magi know? How much did those get read into the story later? We can't totally be sure either, but what we do know is that they recognize the kingship of Jesus. Then after the visit, they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, but to go home another way. And this is the Gospel of Matthew. It doesn't say this as clearly here, but every other time in Matthew that someone is warned in a dream or talked to in a dream, like Joseph, it's an angel. So really what's happening here is an angel visits the wise men in their sleep, tells them to go home by another way. They do that. The story continues with the Holy Family fleeing to Egypt, eventually coming back again each time, Joseph having another dream. And the wise men, the magi, are never spoken again. They never show up in the Bible, the whole rest. I just told you their entire story. You can see it's a rather simple story. Doesn't have a lot of details. But what's fascinating about this is if you study it historically, Christians have loved this story. The early church wrote about this story a lot. Christian art from almost every period has really focused on the visit of the Magi in frescoes. We even find them a lot for early Christians in catacombs associated with their burial and on sarcophagi. This was a symbol. So why, why did the church care so much about these wise men? Well, I think it's because this story so well encapsulates, so well exemplifies the meaning of the Christmas story. Jesus as king. 
And these wise men, who are not Jewish, everybody's catching this, right? They're not Jewish, come and worship him. And what you can see here is this is the first Christian worship service, okay? This is the first recognition that this is for not just Jews, but for the entire world. And so the, the church has been fascinated with this story, and they've told it again and again, sometimes adding a lot of details and filling in some of these uh, it's these questions that we seem to have. So in Eastern Christianity, for example, especially in Syriac churches, there are typically 12 magi, not three. Typically 12 of them. In most traditions, they get settled on three, the same as the number of gifts. They're thought of as maybe either being a royal entourage that is honoring the king, or maybe even being kings themselves. So over time, they get portrayed more and more often as kings. So if you look at the page that's in your bulletin, you'll, you'll find a picture sort of there in the middle um, where it um, comes from 565. It's from the, a basilica in Italy. It's called the Three Magi. And uh, you can see them in their red hats. Everybody see them, the Magi? And they're even given names in a lot. Of, by about 500 A.D., they're named Balthazar, Malchior, and Caspar, or Gasper. Um, you can actually find in other traditions other names of them, um, but, but those are the three that sort of land. And you can see, so you can see the three uh, Persian uh, uh, wise men, magi there, in their red hats. Now, a couple other interesting things to note as you look at these pictures. One is, look at those three with the red hats again what you'll find is that they are of different ages. One has a long white beard, one has a medium sort of dark beard, and the other has no beard. Okay, we see this pretty early on that uh, depictions of the nativity then start to have magi that are of different ages. One who's older, okay, and about 60, one who's 40, sort of middle-aged, and one who's younger, like 20. And most nativity sets today, the nativity set you probably have at your house, one magi has a much bigger beard, one has a medium beard, and one has little or no beard, because that was the tradition that it was from different ages. Now, look, look at these uh, other pictures. What do you notice about some of these other wise men? If you notice, a lot of times the wise men are portrayed as also being multi-ethnic. Multi-ethnic. And so a lot of nativity sets are still painted this way to this day. You might even have one in your house where uh, um, Melchior is normally the oldest. He's considered the king of Persia. He normally looks more Middle Eastern or being more European. He's a little more Anglo. Okay, Casper uh, or Gasper is normally portrayed as a middle-aged man from either India or in some nativity sets all the way from China. So if you think about your, your nativity set as a kid or the nativity sets at your house, a lot of times there's a much more Asian-looking Magi, and then this gets very interesting because the last, the last one, Balthazar, is considered the king of Arabia for a long time, and then the king of Ethiopia, making him African. And so, if you look at some of these pictures, the nativity set in the top right, uh, the pictures down at the bottom, both pictures down at the bottom, you'll see multi-ethnic wise men. It's still in a lot of nativity sets to this day. Why? Because it's part of the idea is that these are people from all over the world. 
This is the world coming to recognize Jesus. All ages, all races coming to worship Jesus as king of the world. In a couple weeks when I do a, a Sunday on Epiphany, I'm going to tell more legends of the wise men because they get really very interesting if you keep following this train of thought and looking at how this... But, but what, are, what are Christians doing? They saw this story as being a great encapsulation, a great summary of the birth of Jesus, the birth of a king, a king for the whole world, a king for everybody, king for people of all ages, of all races. They recognized this was this amazing moment, and they captured it, and they captured it in art, and they captured it in your nativity sets at home. So when you go home, Look at your nativity set and see if you see some of the holdovers of some of these legends. Now, there's one other really interesting one. And that is the star. So Christians have always been fascinated with this star. And it's, it's, at first, it just seems to be a star and a symbol or an alignment of planets. The problem is the star leads them to a house. How many of you know what star is on top of your house right now? Okay, like I dare you, go home. Point up, pick a star, tell me what star, and let's see if I can find your house, right? It's a ridiculous idea that a star could lead to somebody's house. And so the early church has always wondered if this was something much more miraculous than a star. They've actually wondered if this might have been an angel. And you can see this in a lot of your nativity sets too. Does your nativity set have a star? Or does it have an angel over top of it? Many nativity sets actually have an angel over it. And here's another way it shows up in our decorations to this day. What, is, what are your options for tree toppers on your tree? A star, right, to guide everyone to Christmas morning, or an angel. And on your way out, if you look at the Christmas tree that's in uh, the cafe, you'll find that that one has an angel, and that one has a star. And so that debate even shows up today in a lot of our houses as we pick our tree toppers. Was that an angel? Was it a star? Whatever it was, the wise men follow it. They bow down. They finish their journey. They follow the angel. They follow the star. They read the signs. They make the trip all to worship the birth of this king. And so the call for us tonight is to do the same thing. Now, whatever brought you here, whatever is going on in your life, the call of Christmas is the king is born. The king is born. And the king, is, the king that is born is not Herod. The king that is born is not the politics of the day. The king that is, that is born is something much bigger, and it's for all people. And there's this invitation for you to come and recognize and worship.